0: Oh yeah, the good life. So often we try to go after the good life, but what really is that all about? Because I think sometimes in our life and in our world, there's a power struggle. And there's a power struggle within our own hearts of what is the good life and what are we trying to achieve. I have to admit something to you. When I was a younger kid, because I'm still a kid at heart, um, but when I was younger, I used to love WWF wrestling. And just to be honest and, point and real with you guys, I'm a Hawkamaniac. Yes, I love the Hawkster. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I listened to him every Saturday night when I watched him wrestle, say my prayers, take my vitamins, and I did that. Why? Because Hulk Hogan told me to. I loved it. And, and fast forward a little bit, as there's another wrestler came on the scene, his name was the Ultimate Warrior. And there was a time when the. Uh, both Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior were own uh, champions. They both had a championship belt. And there was a WrestleMania where they were both clashing in the ring. There was a power struggle because who was the ultimate champion? I mean, I love that match. Still, sometimes I go on YouTube just to watch it because it was so awesome. I'm not going to tell you what happened. So if you're interested, go on YouTube, look it up. I promise you, you'll enjoy it. But, you know, power struggles are real, aren't they? All throughout history, we have seen the world in power struggles. And can we just be honest here for a moment today? A lot of times there are power struggles within all of us as well. I think so often, if we're honest, we live our lives kind of like that old Queen song. You know it. I want it all. I want it all. Yeah. I want it all. And I want it. Yeah. Yeah, you know it. You guys were the best service. I feel like a headliner now. But here's the thing. We live that life, don't we? We live in that way of I want what I want. I want all of it. And I want it now. I want what I want. And that's the power struggle within our heart. And that's the power struggle within our own culture. And it's all deep rooted within our soul. Let's just be real. I'm in the same boat. I struggle with it. I have bad attitudes with, with this as well. Okay, it's, let's just be real. We all struggle with that at some level. And here's the power struggle of our culture. You ready? The power struggle of our culture is entitlement. It's entitlement. And I know we don't like to talk about it. But it's a real hardship for many of us, isn't it? Self-entitlement is a problem because it becomes a me-first mentality. Everything revolves around me. The world should revolve around me and what I feel I need and what I feel I want. And, the, and, and we bring it into the church. And so often we bring this attitude in the church. Well, I come to the church and the church should serve me and do what I want and do things the way I want them done. And, and I just, I don't want to put a lot into it. You just, you just kind of do your thing and give me the show or give me the stuff that I want. And we have this bad attitude of entitlement. In psychology speaking, there's a couple of reasons why I think we fall prey to this attitude. The first one is sometimes we're trying to hide an underlying issue of maybe our past wrongs. Maybe we're trying to overcome or shield the wrongs that we have made in the past, or the bigger problem, let's just be real, sometimes we get a little bit too used to getting our own way. Don't we? We're just a little too accustomed to getting what we want. And that's the kind of culture that we have developed in our society. And it's really hurting us as individuals. And it's hurting the church. You know, we all just want our own way. You know, my boys, they're on all types of different activities. And it, it breaks my heart when they're disappointed. But can I just be honest with you? I am happy sometimes when they don't make the team. I am happy sometimes when they're not good enough. You know why? Because that's life. Life is full of disappointments. And not everybody gets a trophy. And we got to remove ourselves from this entitlement factor in our lives that we get all we want. And we see how we treat others in the church sometimes. We see how sometimes we bring this attitude when we go out to restaurants and we have people who serve us. You know, let's just be real. Sometimes we have that bad attitude that, that destroys us. And here's the problem with it. What, what tends to happen is we, we live these lives where we feel we, we should get what we deserve. And we have a misunderstanding of what our rights and what our privileges and before we know it, we think, well, these privileges are really my rights, and I deserve it in my life. And if we don't change, if we don't do anything to change, then, then all we're doing is trying to build up our own little kingdoms. And so many of us, let's just be real, I struggle with this too. Let's, let's be honest. So many of us struggle with focusing more of our attention at trying to build our little kingdoms rather than investing in God's kingdom. And there's a big difference There's a big difference. And so many of us are left with disappointment in our life because we thought the good life was in my kingdom, was trying to achieve what I want, the world I want, the job status I want, or the sports focus that I want my kids to have, whatever it might be, and we're so distorted on what we should really be focused on. It's not my kingdom. It's his kingdom. And all it does is lead us to more and more disappointment and more dissatisfaction in our life. You know where entitlement starts? It really starts with pride. A heart full of pride is what really develops an attitude of entitlement. And we have this bad attitude that that kind of uh, comes out of us. And let's just be honest. The Bible is very clear. What's in your heart, you can't hide it. Jesus said what's in your heart comes out. And oftentimes your attitude reveals what's in your heart. And some of you may be tuning me out right now because you don't want to deal with it. But let's just be open and honest right now, can we? Let's be, let's be real because we're all in this. We like the admiration. We like the attention. We like the good life that we try to build. I love it when you think I'm a headliner, right? Okay, you really don't. I know. It's okay. And my family's going to pick on me later, so. But seriously, people, don't we all kind of like it when we are getting the attention? Don't we kind of get a little big-headed and poofed up when it feels like, hey, I'm building this for me. Look what I got. But it's not really that good. It's just pride coming out, and it's destroying us. Did you know in the Old Testament, there was a man who had the same struggle He had the same struggle. His name was Naaman. And we learn about Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5. And let's look at the first time we're introduced to him in 2 Kings 5 verse 1. It says, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded. Because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier but he had leprosy. Do you see it? Naaman, he was commander of the army. He was a valiant soldier, which means he was a war hero. Everybody looked up to Naaman. And you can just imagine how a big head he was getting. I mean, listen, I'm the commander-in-chief. I'm the greatest of the great. I, I got it all going on. He was highly regarded. And so often our status often develops pride within our own hearts. That just develops this attitude of entitlement, doesn't it? We think, I got this far at work. Look at the level I am now. I'm a VP, or I'm a president, or I'm doing this at work, or I, I make all this money now. Look at the house I have, or the cars I drive And We begin to look at, look what I got. And we begin to have this attitude of entitlement, and that's exactly what was beginning to happen with, with Naaman. We see it at our workplace. We see it within our kids' sports. We see it in our neighborhoods. We see it in our churches of this growing problem of entitlement and looking back at Naaman he had what he thought was the good life he had his little kingdom that he's building but there's always a big old butt that gets in the way isn't there don't you hate that and for Naaman his big old butt was he a leprosy and leprosy in that time, that day and age, was a scary, scary disease. It was a skin ailment that had these boils or rashes, and it was very um, uh, despicable. It was very bothersome, and so many people it, were scared of it, that if someone had leprosy, they became an outcast to society. In fact, in those days and ages, they had leprosy camps That would say, okay, you have leprosy, that's where you go now. You're no longer part of society. They kind of brushed them out. And so you can imagine the desperation that was going on now. Naaman was on the verge of losing it all. He had the good life. He had his little kingdom that he built. He had it going on. And then this. And now it was all about to be destroyed you see, Naaman just won a great battle in, in, in Israel and took over some of the land. And in his house, he had a servant girl who was from Israel. And she came and she said, Naaman, the God of Israel, he can heal you. He can heal you. And he was like, oh, okay. So he went to his king he told him about this. And so his king said, here, I'm giving you all this wealth, all these riches. You take it to the king of Israel and you have them heal you. And so Naaman, with all these riches and his huge entourage, he went to Israel. He went to the king of Israel and he knocked on the king of Israel's door. And the king of Israel comes out and he sees what's going on. And he rips his cloak and he he goes into this great morning. He goes, what are you doing? Are you just trying to pick a fight with me? I can't heal you. You're just going to try to pay me off? you try trying to trick me to go into another war? No, I can't do this. And someone told Naaman about this prophet Elisha. Hey, Elisha, he's the dude. He can do it. Go see Elisha. And so he goes to Elisha's door. And you can just imagine the whole entourage of him coming up here to Elisha's door. He knocks on the door and he's expecting for great things to happen. And then look what happens in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 10 through, 10, 10 through 12. Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure him, cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash them, wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Did you catch that? Naaman was ticked off. He went off in a rage. Why? He's like, Elisha, don't you know who I am? I knocked on your door and you sent a servant to come talk to me? Don't you know who I am? And not only that, I mean, why'd you just come out here and wave your little hand, do your little tricks and heal me? Let me go back on my way. You're kind of pushing me through the motions. You're telling me to go down this Jordan River? That's a nasty river. I mean, that's where the commoners, that's where the, you guys all wash and bathe, and I, I don't want anything to do with that. That's a disgusting river. It's like the Ohio River in Pittsburgh. It's, you never know what's going to float up in there. Right? It's despicable. And you're telling me, go in this river and dunk seven times? What in the world are you doing? And you can just feel and see and sense the anger and rage brewing in this man's heart. Why? Because he felt he deserved better. And I wonder how many times we struggle with that too. And sometimes God just wants to take us on a journey. You know what the problem with entitlement is? Is that we begin to perceive ourselves as deserving of certain unearned privileges. That's the problem with entitlement. We think we deserve better. We think we deserve more. And it's like our right to have that. And here's the problem. Naaman wanted the good life. He wanted to be cleansed. And he felt that he deserved to be cleansed. And Elisha should just have done, did his thing, called on God and let Naaman go back to his life. And if we're just honest with ourselves, and I'm, I'm talking to me here, guys. Sometimes we have that same attitude, don't we? Listen, just give me what I want. Do what I'm asking you to do. Let me go back and let me enjoy my life. Let me go back and enjoy what I really want to do. Let me focus on the kingdom I'm trying to build. You know, Jesus, we come to him and we say, Jesus, come on, you can do this. Just throw a couple Hail Marys. Do this and do that. And just give me my life. But can I just be real? I think God's looking for a little bit more. I think he's looking for a little bit more from us. I think he wants to take us on a journey. He wants to take us on a faith journey that pushes us into trusting him fully. You see, God didn't just want to heal Naaman. God wanted Naaman's life. And I think that's what he wants from us too. He wants us to go on a journey with him. He doesn't want the easy way out. At some point, we need to understand the difference between just giving our lives to Jesus, just being a believer of Jesus, and being a follower of Jesus. There is a big difference. At some point, we need to look beyond ourselves, beyond me, and see what God really wants. You know, biblically speaking, Jesus calls us to be... A disciple. And a disciple is a learner who accepts the teaching of Jesus. Not just with words, not just in belief, but in our lifestyle. With the choices we make, the decisions we make, the, the, the actions we commit to. And the word disciple is used 269 times throughout the New Testament. So much more than any other word that is used to describe someone who gives their lives to Jesus. And as a disciple, we are called to an action. And we are called to make disciples. Jesus was very clear before he ascended back into heaven. He was very clear with his command to all of us, which in Matthew 28, this is what Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you see it? Jesus said, you are to be my follower. And as my follower, you are to make disciples. That's what I'm calling you to do. And every one of us at some point should find the ability to put aside our wants, our desires, what we feel we deserve. And figure out, who am I imparting this to? Who am I discipling? Who am I bringing under my umbrella to raise up for Jesus? And if we are not imparting what we know onto somebody else, we're not making disciples. And can I just be real for a moment? I think the struggles for so many of us at truly living as disciples is because we're more focused. Guys, don't block me out. Hear me, please. We're more focused at building our kingdom our life, what we think is the good life, rather than investing in his kingdom. And we miss out on God's best when we do that. That's what happens. The journey of being a disciple is difficult because going to the root struggle of our own heart, of our own attitudes, of our own nature that tends to pull away from God and our own little kingdoms Rather than putting our focus on Jesus and what he truly wants and what he's calling us to. These steps, just like Naaman, they're challenging. You know why? Because they challenge us to make change. That's a scary word. But it causes us to make change, which a lot of times feels unnatural for us. It's uncomfortable for us. But God wants your life. God wants to transform you. God wants something better for you. Peter Drucker is often described as the founder of modern management. And he's quoted as saying, To survive and succeed, every organization will have to turn itself into a change agent. You know, every organization in this world, if they do not learn how to change and transform with the always changing culture, they will soon no longer exist. And there's a lot of businesses out there that learn that the hard way. And so often we need to look at our own selves too. If we are unwilling to change, unwilling to allow Jesus to transform us into who he desires us to be, at some point it's going to destroy us. Years ago, I read a book called Change or Die, which investigates this, this, that question. What if you were given a choice to change, and if you didn't, your time would soon end? The book concludes that although we have the ability to change our behavior, we rarely do. From patients suffering with heart disease to repeat offenders in the criminal justice system to companies trapped in the mold of unsuccessful business practices, many of us could prevent ominous outcomes by simply changing our mindset, changing our behaviors, but rarely we do. And we just go down the path of disappointment and destruction. And the power struggle with self-entitlement often clashes with the need to change because we don't want to change we like things the way we are we like our good life don't we and entitlement causes us to want to be served to want the attention we don't want to change how we're doing things we don't want to change what we're trying to build but the heart of god it challenges that the heart of god calls us to go to be the church You see, understand this, my friends. The church is not an organization. The church is not this building. You are the church. You're the church. And we often want to see change in this world. But oftentimes we are unwilling to change ourselves. And please know this, to make change, you need to be the change. There's no way around it. You cannot gripe about this world if you're unwilling to change yourself. You just can't. The change starts here, here, and in my actions. And the same is true for you too. Think this through for a moment. God knew, first of all, God desired for us to have life with him for all eternity. And he knew there was one way to provide that. And that was for his son to come to this world. And so Jesus, who is fully God, changed for a time to become fully man. And he left everything he had in heaven to live and walk with us so that ultimately he would provide us the opportunity to have life for all eternity. The son of God, the creator of everything that is, realized the need for that. And we need to see that too. We need to see that transformation in our life as well. Paul even said, this isn't in your notes, but he said in 1 Corinthians 9, that he would become all things to all people so that some might be saved. He knew the transformation had to happen. You see, there's no no sidestepping this. Change is hard. Putting ourselves aside for the sake of other people is a challenge. And sometimes we just want to receive the most that we can possibly have by giving the least amount of effort. I struggle with that hey, give me everything I could possibly have, but I don't want to put much effort into it, right? And we live that way, but it just destroys us internally. It really does. It destroys us eternally, and that's the same problem with Naaman. Naaman just wanted a quick healing. He wanted to be treated like the elite man that he thought he was, and he just wanted to go back on with his life. But God had a different plan. See, God wanted his life. And God wants the same for us too. What is the good life? What life are you trying to build? Are you finding yourself investing more in your little kingdom or in God's kingdom? Because our kingdoms, they won't last. One day they will be destroyed. But God's kingdom is for all eternity. And just think about the kingdom that he is building for us is a place where the streets Gold. I mean, can you think about that for a moment? Our most valuable possession in this world is the pavement in heaven. I'm going for that place. How about you? You see, my friends, this is all about a faith journey. And the journey of faith is what leads to the good life. It really is. That's what leads us to the good life. The journey of faith is what guides us to where we ultimately want to go. And ultimately, faith develops trust. That's what it is. Faith is just what develops trust in our life. And walking in faith sometimes causes us to take steps that do feel unnatural. And Paul himself, while being locked up in chains, he was in a very cold and damp and horrible and horrific environment. And the prison he was in, he could barely move. And he was restricted like this. And in that prison... In that jail cell, he wrote a letter to the church in Philippi, which had these words that says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And in that prison cell, he wrote about the joy that he had. Why? Because the good life was not this world. The good life for him was Jesus and his kingdom. He said, My life is for Jesus. My gain is not this world. That's not the life I want. That's not the good life. The good life is the kingdom of God. And death is my gain. Why? Because that's ultimately when I inherit what he's providing. And here's the challenge it's not that we don't want to see God come through. I don't think that's the problem. I think we do. I think the problem is that oftentimes we want God to prove himself before we're even willing to take a step. I think that's the challenge. I think we're saying, God, hey, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. But how about you show me a little stuff and then I'll go. But God says, that's not the journey. That's not the journey. That's not how it works. You know, Elisha told Naaman that he needed to go into the Jordan River and dunk seven times to be healed. Not five, not six. Not six. Seven times. And look what happens in 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. So he went down and he dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all of his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there, was no, that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. I just, when I read these stories, I just love to think about the the mindset that Naaman had. I can just imagine this man who was disgruntled for this time, saying, go to the Jordan. He didn't want to do that. I can just see him walking down, rolling his eyes, Grumbling a little bit with his entourage. I can't believe he's telling me to do this. This is, this is disgusting. I mean, look at that stuff floating in the river. That's disgusting. I mean, those Israelites are up there bathing. I don't want to get in this river. This is dirty and disgusting. Who wants to do this? This is so stupid. All right, I'll go through with it because that's what I'm told to do. And so he goes and gets in the river. And I can just see it playing out. All right, here we go. One. Man, this is stupid. Two, someone's going to make Elisha pay for this. Three, look, they're laughing at me in the back row. I can't believe I'm out here. Four, and can I be honest with you? How many times do we sometimes begin the journey and then we're like halfway through the journey and then we just kind of stop? Like, it's not really working out. I'm done. This is stupid. I'm out of here. You're just making me go through these motions. Right? And I can imagine that's maybe Naaman's mindset right now. I'm at four, nothing's really happening. Still there. But you see, God wants us to fully go through the journey. Not stop halfway. And here's Naaman. All right. Five. Oh my goodness gracious. Six. Not this is this is stupid. Seven. Whoa! Look, I promise you it was there. When I was up at six and went down, it was there, but seven, it's gone. Elisha, what just happened? This is crazy. I believe in your God. He is amazing. He is real. I want to follow him. I want to do everything for him. I'm going to make mistakes. I promise, Elisha, I'm still going to make mistakes. But please forgive me for the mistakes I'm about to make because because I'm still a man. I'm still a mess up. But hey, this is amazing. God's awesome. And you see this man's attitude and everything simply transformed with dunk number seven. Why? Because he went on a faith journey. He went on a faith journey that transformed his life. And that's what God was after. And that's what God is after for you. And and Naaman went to Elisha and said, here's all the rich. You have it all. Elisha's like, no, 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 don't want it. Don't need it. You take it. You take it back. And Elisha had a man that was one of his servants named Gehazi. And he's watching Elisha say, no, you take the money. He's just going, what? (laughs) Look how much money he has. And then Naaman kind of goes off, and Gehazi secretly follows Naaman. And he catches up with Naaman, and he goes to Naaman's chariot. He says, hey, Naaman, can I talk to you for a moment? And he jumps off the chariot. He says, listen, I know Elisha said, don't, don't give me the money. Don't give us the money. I think he, was, he misunderstood what was going on. But I think we need it now. And Naaman's like, yeah, your God's awesome. Absolutely, take it all. And Gehazi took the money, and he went to his house, and he locked it up in his house. And then he went back, and then look what happens at the end of the story um, in that moment. At the end of the story, 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 25 through 27, Gehazi said, went, went to the house and stood before the master. And Elisha asked him, where have you been, Gehazi? Your servant didn't go anywhere. Uh, and, and Elisha said to him, um, was not my spirit with you when the man of God went down from the chariot with you? In other words, Gehazi, you're a liar. And is this the time to take no money or to accept clothes or olive groves or vineyards or flocks or herds or male and female slaves? And, Naaman's, and he said, the Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. Then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and his skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. See that? Wow. It's a clash of two people, isn't it? It's a clash of two people. Naaman was unwilling, but finally he took the journey, and God transformed his heart. Then there was Gehazi. Gehazi was someone who was a follower of God, served God, but secretly sat in the back while his heart was being distorted. Because ultimately within his own heart was brewing a bad attitude of I want this world. I want the life I want. I want something more than what I feel I'm getting. And I wonder how many of us struggle like Gehazi. And we come to church regularly, kind of sit there in the seats. But if we're honest, boy, I'm not really willing to jump all in. I want the life I'm trying to build. And we miss out on God's best. Gehazi's life ended in destruction because of his desire for what he wanted in his world and destroyed him. And that's what happens when we run towards the life that we feel we want. When we run towards our kingdoms, it ends in disappointment. It ends in destruction. But God's kingdom is real. God's kingdom is good. You know something Naaman learned? I jumped over this in the notes, and um, they probably pass it up on the screen. But Naaman learned something to overcome the attitude of entitlement is he lived with gratitude, and he owned his own responsibility. That's what he did. He lived with attitude and he owned his own responsibility. He realized, "Man, God, it's not about me. Look what God did and I have a part to play in this. I have a part to play in this and now I'm living for his kingdom, not my own." What about you? Where are you at? It's it's time, my friends for us to be honest with our own hearts. Like I said before, you can try to hide your heart, but your attitude reveals you. It does. And at some point, you need to be real with your own heart. What kingdom are you trying to live for? You're trying to live for the kingdom you're trying to build? You're gonna be disappointed. Are you trying to live for God's kingdom? Living beyond me, beyond ourselves. And at some point, I think all of us, God's calling us to go on a faith journey, to experience His best that you will never experience until you go on that journey. Not halfway, not two-thirds, got to go. You got dunk seven times in that nasty river. Whatever that river is for you, you got a journey. Because God's best is on the other side. It is. And he wants you to experience his good life. Despite what may be going on in the world around you, his good life sustains. It sustains. I have a challenge for you. Did you know, statistically speaking, that the average churchgoer goes to church 1.2 times a month? That's, that's kind of scary, my friends. Because how can we expect God to transform our lives when the world gets the most of us? How can that happen? That's why the world's winning in so many hearts, because the world gets the majority of us. And that's you. Can, 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 I'm, I'm giving you a challenge. Okay, for the next three months, this is it. Okay? Let's do it. Try it. Let's do it together. I want you to commit for the next three months that you will not miss a weekend of church. Simple. But it seems so hard. It's like, well, Bill, I have this going on. The kids have a tournament coming up here. And I just don't know if I can make it work. I get it. My boys are in sports. But they never miss this church. Sunday, I don't let them. No way. And even if you're not physically in this area... When you're wherever you're at, find somewhere to go. Make it a priority. And watch what God begins to do for you. Watch. I know he'll work through it. I know he will. If you just do it. And I'd love to hear your story. If you do that, if you're someone that's like, Bill, I don't really go to church that much. Or I just go half the time. If you do that, I'd love to hear your story. Hear what God does. Because I believe that he's doing something. And he wants to do something in you too. He wants to work and move in mighty ways. He wants you to experience him in a whole new way. But you got to engage him. That's the journey. You need to engage him. And you may be sitting here and saying, Bill, I've never given my life to Jesus. I don't even know what that is. I've never been baptized. I've never even begun to take these steps. And if that's you, maybe it's time to experience Him. Maybe it's time to take that step. In a moment, we're going to be singing a song. And when we sing that song, I have decided, I really encourage you if you need to take a step, if you've never experienced Jesus, if if you need to give your life to Jesus, will you go? We have great people at the back with the Engage Impact. Go back there as we sing. Don't wait for the song to be over. Go when the song starts and let us begin that journey with you. Or you might be sitting there and saying, Bill, I have a little Gehazi in my heart. I do. I've been coming to church trying to get the most with the least amount of effort put in. I've been trying to get things my own way and not really being a part of the church. Like I'm trying to get the church to serve me, but I'm not really living actively, breathing part of the church. And maybe it's time for you to do that. Maybe it's time for you to take that step and realize I am a part of the church. And I'm here to serve as the church, not the church serves me. And if you want you jump in and see what God begins to do as he begins to love you and love others through you. As you use your gifts to make change and bring hope to this world, you can do it. God's gifted you. Don't keep that gift to yourself. Let's God use you. If that's you and you need to take that step, it's like, Bill, I need to go. Go back to the engage impact when we sing. Make that step. Begin the journey. I'm telling you, friends, now's the time. Naaman had the choice to make. You know what his choice was? He could either go home and deal with his own life, or he could say, in this moment, I am all in. I am all in. I'm taking the journey. I'm doing it. I'm all in. You know why? Because this life I've been trying to build, it's not working out. I want a life that's better than this. A life that only God provides. I'm all in. What about you? It's time, my friends. It's decision time. Are you all in? Are you willing to be all in for him? Saying, God, you've got me. I want to experience more of you. That's you. It's time. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we just thank you. Because you are good. You are an amazing God. And Lord, I just pray that right now you move us towards your heart. Help us to experience you in a whole new way. And Lord God, right now I know there's some here that your spirit is already beginning to move. And Lord God, I just pray that you move in mighty ways. For those sitting in this room that feels like, God, I need to give my life to you, I pray this is the moment that they take that step. Lord, if there's someone in this room that's sitting right now saying, I, I feel like I've been half in, but right now it's to be all in. I need to, I need to live for you, serve you, and do, give you my all. Lord, I pray that that happens in this moment. Lord, motivate us towards your heart. Motivate us towards you. Take us on your journey. It's in your name we pray. Amen.